Friendship, for example, is a real gift. It's an insane world. But in it, there is one sanity. The loyalty of old friends. You're the best friends anybody ever had. Alone, bad friend. Good. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure that he was okay. Friendship family. These are things that matter. We just become best friends. Yep. Touch my friends again and I'll buy you. Thanks, Mike. You're my best friend here. Lose one friend. Lose all friends. Lose yourself. We ride together. We die together. Bad boys for life. That's what friends are for, right? Friends? Friends. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. If you're not over here in 15 minutes, you can find a new best friend. You've been saying that since the fifth grade. Welcome to the I Am Your Friend podcast. I am your host, Aiden Licker. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we started the questions or the submissions, I guess I should say, that you could submit messages to the podcast. Um, so I'm going to start doing that. We did one for this week that we'll get into later. Um, we did it as an Instagram story. Um, and then you could have messaged the link in my bio to do it anonymously. Uh, so, and we got a lot of good responses. So I'm super excited to do that. I'm going to keep doing that and engage with our audience here. And that's you guys, our friends. Um, today we have our friend Christine as our guest. Hey, Christine. Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's we've had a really weird morning, I guess. Yeah, we've had a weird twenty-four hours. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to record this podcast yesterday, and all of West Seneca lost power. <laughs> um, and so now we're we're doing take two. Take two. Which feel I, it feels nice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, Caffeinated. Uh, yes, absolutely. Prepared. Right. Yesterday, it was like both like we both got just got out of work. Yeah. And we were just like, Ugh. but now Sticky. today it's like, hey, we just woke up. It's Saturday. Um, we're drinking some caffeine. Things are things are going good. Yeah. So, Christine, you are a therapist. Yeah, I'm a, so I'm in the kind of home stretch of my master's degree in mental health counseling. So I'm in my like supervision internship phase, which is. I have like a load of clients um, as I'm finishing classes and I meet once a week with a supervisor. And the whole point of supervision is to kind of like talk through anything that is uncertain or if I have a question about a client or I need kind of guidance on something. Um, It's an opportunity to speak to someone that has been in the field for a long time. And a lot of therapists continue some facet of supervision throughout their careers with new trainings and stuff like that. but yeah, so I'm, I'm at this cool point now where I'm seeing clients and I'm working with people, but I'm also getting to kind of pick the brain of somebody who's been in the field a lot longer. So nice. That's, that's good. That's yeah. uh, good to have. Is that like a, a requirement? Yep. Pretty much, yeah. So is there like a minimum that you have to do that for? Yeah, so in New York State, I believe it's 3,000 hours under a supervisor. Yeah, which should make you feel good because yeah. it means that your therapist probably knows their shit. Right. Um, <laughs> Some states, you know, how certain states, not not to single out the Bible Belt, but, like, the right. Bible Belt is, like, if you stand here for 45 minutes and tell us that you understand our feelings, we'll give you a license. Right. Um, but New York State is one of those states that's just kind of harder to get a license in, so it's 3,000. Sure, as it should be, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to think that 3,000 is fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, um, because... I think that makes sense to have, like, you know, the idea of, like, a supervisor, like, you're going into the role, and it would be weird if, like, you just, like, got your degree, and they're like, all right, here's a bunch of patients, go for it, you know? Yep. Um, So that's cool that you can just kind of, you know, check in with somebody who's been doing it forever to make sure that you're not just entirely fucking everything up. Totally. Yeah. It's nice to not uh, further stress someone out who's already in a 
compromised position. Right. That's a good opportunity. Yeah. Do you find that like, or being like early on in your career of this, that like, there's a lot of times where you're like, fuck, it's like, I fucked that one up or, or you feel like you fucked that one up or maybe you should have done something differently or whatever. My first, I'd say my first like six months of clients, I was hyper aware of like the language I was using and I felt like everything I said was really bad and I was really, really overshooting it. And every time I talked to my supervisor, she was like, no, you're good. Like, don't sweat it. Um, And I, I vividly remember being in a session and a client said something and I just like, my instinctive response was like, dude, that fucking sucks. Right. And that was the first time I was like, oh, I, I understand how to do this. Now. Yeah. Like, it's not. Sometimes that's good, though. Yeah. I feel like my therapist has said that to me before. That he's like, damn, that's terrible. I'm sorry. And yeah. it's just like, that's good to hear. You know, it's human, I think. Yeah. It doesn't you, feel like you're being treated like a patient, you know. When you get over that phase of like, I have to have answers for people. Because right. people don't come to therapy for answers. They don't come for advice. They come to be heard and like experienced. And I think that once I realized that, like, I don't have to have an answer, I can just sit in a room with somebody and sit in that discomfort and be like, yeah, dude, that fucking sucks. Yeah. And sometimes it's all people need, I think. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's cool. Well, that's good. Um, good on you for, for getting there. How long you got left until you get your master's? I graduate in May. <clears throat> oh, fire. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. Home stretch for sure. And then I get to pay a disordinate amount of money for it. So. Yeah. I'm with you. Shout out to... America. Shout out to America. Perfect transition to our Ooh. next topic here. Oh, no. um, because when you and I first met, I remember, you, you know, you're like, so I, I'm a very passionate person about like socioeconomics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, I read as much as I can. I had never actually like formally studied it, but I like tend to, it's one of the things that I, my I spend a lot of time trying to learn and have discussions about, and I do find that like most people in my life, uh, don't know too much about it. And so like when you and I first met, we had a conversation about it and you were the first person that was like, Oh my gosh, she knows more than me, (laughs) which was like awesome because I was like, then I just wanted to know everything. Um, I remember having a conversation with you and I mentioned like, reading Karl Marx or something and you're like Marx is okay but I really like ooh, somebody you know what I mean and I'm like wait a minute what there's like more you yeah know? like to me it was like reading the manifesto and reading capital was yeah. like oh you did it you know but there's like no there's so much more yeah and two like social theory is a real like side passion um and I one of my bachelor's degrees is in sociology so I had a professor there who was like all right Marx is tight but like here's some other shit you might want to look at yeah um and he talked a lot about Foucault which I think is who I recommended to you yeah Foucault rules and Foucault is you know panopticism and all these theories about the way that we police ourselves based on social order and the way that we function within society and uh have we ever talked about how Foucault died? Because it's my, no, I don't it's think my so. favorite thing to talk about. Let's go. So, <laughs> oh, no. So Foucault, um, he was a, a philosopher and a social theorist. And he talked a lot about pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure as this like ultimate accomplishment for human life. And essentially, as he got older and a little bit more insane, um, his theory was that the only way that he could truly pursue true pleasure was if he could just truly do whatever he wanted, even if it was disgusting or like socially unacceptable. Hmm. So he went to France and just got all of the STIs and oh, died. Nice. He just died fucking and sucking, like and all the power to him. His he was like, This is true freedom. Like yeah. this is the freedom to 
put myself in a situation that is not healthy or safe is is me exercising my actual freedom because I'm not working within the constructs of live a long life and like be healthy and be happy. Yeah. He was basically like I can be sick and miserable and freer than any of you. Wild. That is wild, wild but also like kind of fire. He said Foucault rules. Yeah. I, hill I will die on. Yeah, I'll have to uh read into him more, but I do remember you bringing that up. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's cra- I mean the whole idea of like all of that like I don't know where it started for me. Like in, I feel like I was like middle school and just learning about like more in depth of U.S. history than I mm-hmm. knew before. And like, that's also when I happened to discover Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, which like was as a thirteen or fourteen year old, whatever. When I discovered them, I didn't really like. I didn't know what they were saying. You know what I mean? But I knew like there was some sort of like rebellious uh message there mm-hmm. and i was just like that it, it, it connected with me you know what i mean I, yeah. I was very drawn to that idea so um i kind of naturally fell into this like you know um seeing through propaganda kind of thing because i remember just reading about like i had a really cool history teacher in middle school that you know we we, we got into like the red scare and like yeah. all that kind of stuff and like the way that the u.s used propaganda to like manipulate people um, and everything like that and you know discovering bands like Rage Against the Machine that kind of were calling that kind of behavior out in you know a more modern era mm-hmm. um, was something I was just very very interested in and then you know in college and everything you learn I mean I remember I had a college class that was like it's funny how like as a kid when you when you learn things about history it's all just like you know whitewashed and just like oh yeah this was fun it was a fun time before this and then you get into college and it's like yeah all that was bullshit (laughs) um i remember taking like a world cultures class or something where this professor just like we did an entire class on christopher columbus and just like Mm. how fucked up that dude was oh yeah and i'm just like why are we celebrating this man you know what i mean so um i find all and then from there you know realizing that you know from christopher columbus on you know we're not far off like the systems that were set in place are not far off from what that guy was doing. So, um, you know, and I feel like tying that back to you being a therapist, I feel like a lot of times, especially in this day and age, like where we are having more open discussions about mental health and everything. And also realizing how much like the socioeconomic systems that are in place, like, like are the reason that everybody's so fucked up you know what i mean or plays a huge part in it at least yeah we uh just as a society we really underestimate the effects of like external trauma and vicarious trauma and this idea that we are being forced to exist within a system that is not built to withstand us right um we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I, I always say that like hate breed is the reason I became a therapist. Right. Because, <laughs> Which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, this I was like, these men are so angry, but they're so nice. What the hell? Um, and that was the first time it was really shown to me that it's cool to not be an asshole and it's cool to be kind and it's cool to be empathetic and it's cool to see people for who they are. And there's something about how we function as a culture that forces us to sit with this idea of like oh god this this capitalism thing this heteronormativity thing this whitewashing thing like this is the way that it is because it's the system that's been built for so long right so when people come in i i would say like 60 or 70 percent of the people i work with i have to say at some point like yeah you're not 
you're not crazy you're this is capitalism right it's not insane that you can't make it through a 40-hour work week without wanting to throw yourself into a river because guess what you're not built we're not built for this yeah and a thing i think about a lot is like just how quickly we evolve as human beings especially like with like how much that uh, was expedited through like technology, mm-hmm. um, you know, through like the internet and like total like globalization and like total like interconnectivity and you know, as Bo Burnham puts it out, a little bit of everything all the time. Like having that idea like has like evolved us at like even a more rapid rate than we were already evolving uh, and the systems in place just have not kept up, you know? Yeah. Like I think about that a lot with like the 40 hour work week, right? Like that was established like in like the 1950s, I believe. I might be wrong, but somewhere around there, somewhere post World mm-hmm. War II, I think, yeah. when uh, all of, like the la- actually it might have been even before that, but it was all the labor unions started to form and say, you know, we need safer working conditions and all this stuff, and then that happened, and it was you know a fully positive outcome for industry and for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, production was able to stay up, people were able to get paid well and afford things, yeah. um, and then we did that, and then we didn't change anything. Um, you know, we didn't continue to progress. Uh, so that's the thing I think about. And especially like, you know, I'm obsessed with the era of like post-World War II until like Reagan. Mm. Because it really was like, you know, there was a lot of progress, real progress that was happening in terms of everything, in terms of civil rights and social programs and um, a lot of things that if you tried to introduce them today, people would lose their fucking minds. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like I think about like the establishment of like uh, like publicly funded libraries yeah. Like, if you tried uh-huh. to make that a thing today, people would be like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, no. Like, that's a so super stupid idea. What a waste of money. We could be paying the cops. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we could build more parking lots. Yeah, we need more right. parking lots. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like... So I'm always obsessed with that. And then, you know, the Reagan administration came in and just like undid fucking everything. And then it's just kind of been the same ever since. And then, you know... Th- the 90s hit and that's when you get the big like you know the dot-com boom and uh you know the internet and and all these things and then once we get smartphones a short while later uh you know it, it becomes very apparent um like just like how fucked everything is yeah and we still see no like progress in the systems and now that's gotten us to the place that we're in now and of course everybody is like mentally falling apart but they can recognize it which is i think a a silver lining in that is that we've gotten to a place where like we can recognize um you know mental health issues and things like that but then also Mm -hmm. um you know realize that it's probably wouldn't be as bad if we had just kept up with the progress that we had yeah mainly the 40-hour work week right the reason the 40-hour work week was a thing was because of machines like machines became a thing like uh, probably before they started using the word, but automation, you know, was was helped so that, you know, it's like, hey, we have machines that make these jobs easier. We don't have to be here this long anymore, right? And then my whole thing is like, okay, but then we got a technological revolution mm. uh, in like the 90s and, and, and to, up until today of like where we actually now have like digital automation and, you know, actual like robot type uh, technology that you know, we should readdress that conversation of being like, okay, the 40 hour work week was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Um, and we've advanced so far since then, we should re readdress this conversation uh, that, hey, okay, 40 hours is too much now. We don't need to mm-hmm. do that anymore. So let's tie that back, you know? And it's yeah. like, I just don't understand. Well, I guess I do understand because it's just like. It sounds like you do. 
It's just, well, I was going to say, I don't understand how we just don't, you have to just keep up with things and things always need to be changing and progressing. And I was going to say, I don't understand how they just like don't. And it's like, but like I do, cause it's like these fucking old white, uh, motherfuckers. Right. Exactly. Just want to keep maximizing their profit forever. And then, you know, we have to pay the repercussions for it. The tech boom, I think too, especially with the nineties and the dot coms and stuff. That's a really important one, especially when it comes to mental health. My, my supervisor is brilliant and very cool. And she said a couple of things that have just like, Re- made me reevaluate the way that I function as a human adult. But one of the I love that shit. oh, one of the best things she's ever said to me, and one of the coolest things I think I've learned from her, is uh, she when she teaches when she trains EMDR, she talks about the fight or flight response. Yeah. And can you explain EMDR for anybody who doesn't? Yeah. Know? So um, EMDR oh. is a type of processing therapy that we can use bilateral stimulation to push traumatic memories or experiences from the right side of the brain to the left. So um, the right side of your brain is kind of like the, uh, it's like a grocery store clerk, right? Like it scans in the things. But what happens is if the stuff that it scans in doesn't get transferred to the left side, which is narrative, assigns meaning, things like that, it stays in your right side and that stuff can be traumatizing or activating. So EMDR is a form of trauma therapy that I'm training in that allows people to kind of relive or relook at aspects of a traumatic memory and then use bilateral stimulation which is using both sides of the brain at the same time we do it either with eye movements or with physical tapping Um, and it lets people transfer that memory or that experience to the left side for processing so we talk a lot about fight or flight fight flight or freeze which are you know our lizard brain literally our reptile brain ways of processing and handling things and um she says that the fight or flight was a mechanism designed to go off like once or twice in our lives whoa so um we were cavemen and we walked into a cave and there was a lion and we're like oh shit not that cave never again that's your fight or flight that's what it's designed for it's designed for life or death scenarios but because of technology and because of the exposure that we now have your fight or flight could go off when you open your phone. Yeah. You know, I, I'm dealing with a lot of vicarious trauma right now with people because of the Roe versus Wade overturn. Of course. And it's like the fact that you can look at an email from, you know, the New York Times and have a panic attack is not something that our bodies in origin were designed for. Right. So now you have people that you can be activated or upset or see something traumatizing at any moment of your day you could be peeing and checking instagram and see something horrific like which is not something that we're designed for so what we have now is we have this boom of availability and of media and of experiences and we have no way of keeping up with it because you can't you 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 cannot possibly expect your body to handle that stuff well so it's like our tolerance for insane like our tolerance for distressing imagery has gone up to an extent but it's also like is there a difference between tolerance and acceptance right that's a good like, point can you see this and see it for what it is and distance it from yourself or is seeing it going to immediately cause a problem and if it is how do we keep up with that right yeah that's an interesting idea of like tolerance versus acceptance of like it are we able to handle it more or is it just like fucking us up so much that it's like we have no choice yeah but to just accept it and keep going you know i mean human beings are like pretty incredible with the way that we're just like what we're uh, 
able to get through. You know what I mean? Of just like, mm-hmm. I think about that a lot too. Of just like, you know, how much trauma people went through, like just like back in like the day, you know, like back in like going back to let's say like 50s and 60s when you had, you know, your traditional homes or whatever. And like physical abuse was just like a normal part of life. You know what I mean? Of like getting smacked around, like whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, people not dealing with not knowing how to handle their anger and their frustrations and things like that because you know for whatever reasons and just like everybody just like got through that you know what i mean and it's just like but then just never dealt with it you know and then it just gets passed on and then now we are at a point where we're like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute like we have to reassess everything that we know now you know and that generational stuff too i mean i I'm a ride or die Adlerian in theory. Like I really, I really like Adler, and a lot of what Adler talks about is how family affects the way that we behave, um, and the vicarious trauma component of our, you know, our grandparents being people of that time period of dealing with physical abuse, dealing with relationships that didn't require kind of expectation or communication, and then they pass it down to our parents, and our parents say like that's an unrealistic expectation that you have for your relationships or the way that you see people like that's my favorite one is like all men are kind of bad you just have to settle one settle for one that's not the worst yeah yeah yeah. right it's like what are we picking the president yeah right (laughs) 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 i'm so sad um Uh, (laughs) i'm so scared i know everything we're talking about now has (laughs) me has me thinking about just like one of my therapy sessions i had recently was like just me being like you know you start with like some small right it's like we barely even got through a pandemic right like it's still going on and we just kind of decided it was over because the system Mm -hmm. had to keep moving right and it's like you take that issue and then you zoom out a little bit more right and you realize like oh yeah and also like everybody in power is like you know the decisions that were made over the last few years are now going to affect like an entire generation of people and um everything is you know everything that we have progressed to uh is now being undone and we're just going backwards and then it's like and then we zoom out a little bit more it's like oh yeah and also like the planet's on fire yeah and like we're nobody's doing anything about it and because like everybody just wants to just keep making money and that's just like the only focus anybody has about anything Mm -hmm. because that's how it was set up and i just like don't know how to deal with that and i just you know what i mean just unload all like just keep zooming out and just realizing oh yeah yeah we're just absolutely everything is fucked and then my therapist just being like yeah yeah Yep. It is. It sucks. <laughs> and then you're like, everything is on, on fire and terrible, and I want to throw myself into a gorge. And then you're like, I should see a therapist. And you try to see a therapist, and your insurance company is like, no, you right. don't need that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Therapy isn't real. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. And then you get it to a therapist, and you see your therapist, and then you tell your friends about it, and they're like, therapy's a little gay. And you're yeah. like, all right. Well, no I'm right. always doing stuff that's a little gay, you know? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the only way to live. If yeah. you're not a little gay... Why bother? Right. It's, you're wasting your time. Be yeah. a little gay. Live a little, a little you gay. know? It's fun. Chase your dreams. <laughs> the transition of what we were just talking about to where it got to was insane. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But, yeah, man, things, things can get bleak sometimes, but it's nice to, you know... <laughs> For me, at least, like going to therapy once in a while and just be like, just kind of like unload about everything. Cause it's like, if I say this to anybody else, like they're gonna be like, wow, way to bring the room down, you know? Yep. So it's like, it's nice to like be able to just unload that. And then my therapist be like, yep, that's, yeah, things suck right now. And uh, that's, that's all that it is. And I'm like, yeah, it yeah. does. But it like feels good to just like 
unload it, you know? Sometimes that's all therapy needs to be, is just be seen. Right. Be seen and heard in a space that's not full of people that you know or full of people that you feel could have could pass judgment on how you feel sometimes you just need to like say something sucks and you need someone else to tell you like yeah this is yeah this is terrible right yeah you know you're not crazy essentially that's right. like basically all i use therapy for is just be yeah. like hey i think about this a lot and does that mean i'm nuts and he's just like yeah. nope and i'm like cool here's my money thanks yep. for that bookkeeping <laughs> just come in get your affairs yeah. in order and see you later. So yeah we, t- we talked about that a little bit yesterday too was the yeah. idea of bookkeeping and therapy like um the idea that like uh, you know, going to therapy means that there's something wrong. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Everyone should see a therapist. I really I, believe right. that. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I, I don't think there's anybody that's just like perfectly handling life right now, especially with like everything that we have already mentioned of like what's going on in the world and things. Um, and especially what we all just lived through over yeah. the past like two and a half years. Like everybody has, is carrying around a lot of trauma through like living through that. Like no matter what you were li- like your situation was like, we all had our lives completely like shifted like for a while. And, uh, you know, I think that's, there's a lot of processing that still needs to be done for that. Yeah. You know, Adjustment. Um, but yeah, huge. I'm at a point now. I mean, I was going to therapy like weekly and then I, you know, now I'm at a point now where like, I've been going to therapies for five years now or four years, maybe. Hell yeah. And, uh, now I'm at a point where I only, I mean, I really am only seeing them like once uh, every month or every two months. Um, and usually it's like those bookkeeping type sessions where I'm just like, all right, here's what's going on in my life. You know, it's just like, this is everything I went through. Here are a few low points that I hit. Um, and you know, and just to kind of talk through everything, you know, it, it, yeah. Bookkeeping is the best way to put it. It's just like checking in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's almost like, uh, yeah. Just like stepping on the scale every once in a while and be like, am I still a person? You know, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. 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 So we'll get back into, uh, more of these discussions when we go to the questions later. I want to shift gears a little bit into you as an actress. Oh, um, because you are a theatrical actress and i've seen you perform in the uh torn space theater yeah which does have a show coming up yeah um this upcoming weekend this episode's coming out on monday so um it'll be the 12th we I did believe, this yesterday yeah, I know. I didn't know i'm terrible with dates Damn 12th 13th 14th and, and then, then 19th 20th and 21st thank you um torn space uh it is a uh like interactive crowd involvement um theater performance is it at silo city again yes silo city um it's super cool i went to it last year and uh it was a really really cool experience um it's super fun because it's not just like watching a play it's like being part of it you know like seeing the barriers kind of break down which is really cool um and then it's also like very like thought-provoking and like kind of um you know makes you think a lot deeper about certain things and um Mm -hmm all the performers are really good and it's 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 a really really well done performance so um if anybody listening they got nothing going on in the next couple weekends i uh, definitely go and check it out it's super cool so you can bring um, a picnic this year too or uh, you can bring a picnic yeah byob um we are selling beer and stuff though at the event but yeah it's a um it's a fictional society called the society and every year we have an early harvest ritual that's some kind of um, sensory theater reflection of the year previous. So, um, and something I think that Dan and Melissa Shanahan, who run Torn Space, do really well is the commentary is never like heavy handed. 
It's right. It's, it's never delivering a specific message. Right. You yeah. get what you need to get from it, and that's kind of the beauty of the work. I think. Right. And we talked a little bit yesterday about it about how. Um, I really like it because it reminds me a lot of like Kubrick yeah. type stuff, which like I went down a Kubrick rabbit hole during the pandemic and, um, you know, read into a lot of like why he made certain decisions or, you know, what, you know, specifically it reminds me of like the end of 2001 when, you know, there's just kind of like this really like trippy sequence going on of like him, like the main character, like transcending yeah. uh, and going through time and like kind of like hitting a black hole and like what happens and you know when people ask Kubrick what he was going for and what you know it meant he was like I just want people to feel something yeah. like just watch it and and whatever you if if you leave the theater feeling different than when you showed up you know that's that's exactly what he was going for so and that's kind of exactly how I felt after the Torrance Space performance last year was I was like you know there was no like direct message but it was like it you left feeling like you know, you tapped into some parts of your brain that you don't check in with a lot about certain things and uh, yeah. in a really, really cool and entertaining way. So you take what you need. Right. All right. And I like that. Um, so how long have you been doing the Torn Space thing? This is my fourth or fifth year. Yeah. Um, this this series has been going on at the silos for longer than that. It's been um, they've, they've been doing it, I think, 10 plus years Damn. So it's a very rich, it's a whole mythology that they've built really around this fictional society. So there's a lot of just like layers to it. And I got to talk to some people last year who come from Iceland every year to see it, which Whoa. is really rad. That is yeah. super cool. It's got like a following, which is awesome. And it's just, I think it's really accessible, like performance art. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to show up there and feel weird or feel like everybody is, you know, judgmental right and it does but it does force you to break down some boundaries which i like yeah you know what i mean it's like yeah no you're all going to be a part of this Mm -hmm. like nobody's going to be too cool for this like um and it's cool to kind of break down that wall for everybody and it it feels really good to to be able to do that you're going to be a little uncomfortable a little horny right yeah that's my favorite combination of things to be horny uncomfortable and scared but you're going to love it and you're going to drink after and you're going to feel fine right yeah, it is. It's it's super cool. It definitely like I mean, at least last year, I, it was definitely like midsummer vibes. Yeah. Um, which I love. Like I'm obsessed with that movie. Uh, and like that vibe of things. Um, besides maybe like the murder aspect, but, um, no. So if you, yeah, it's super cool. Um, uh, and I can't recommend it enough. And yeah, they do a really good job of of putting it on. So I didn't know it was going on for that long. Um. I'm super fascinated by a lot of like the different like scenes that exist within the city mm-hmm. of Buffalo, like the art scenes. Um, you know, I grew up kind of like a, you know, sheltered, not sheltered, but just like, I just only knew the suburbs, right? I knew South Buffalo and West Seneca and that was really it. So, you know, after college, when I started to like hang out in the city more and I, you know, learned a lot about these, like, even like the stand up comedy scene is like yeah. super cool that I knew nothing about. Like, the theater scene alone but like also you know the the torn space thing is super cool and just like you know knowing that all of this exists within buffalo and like i feel like it doesn't give or get enough attention so um I, i'm glad you came on to talk about that and promote it because i hope people go and see it and, and get involved because it's it's a really really cool thing yeah and i i see i didn't know that buffalo had a comedy scene that's what i'm saying you started yeah. posting about it I was right like, oh god okay yeah no there are that's a lot awesome. of fucking comics in buffalo there's a lot of really funny people in buffalo yeah i do find like i think the thing is with a lot of them like um they've been doing it for a long time and they don't really a lot of them are not good at using social media 
Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, we, you know, <laughs> like if we could uh, figure out that aspect of it, you know, I think it'll it'll help a lot. So, um, but yeah, Torrent Space Theater, check it out. Uh, it's super cool. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember to recommend it enough. They do more than just, like, the silo thing, though, right? Like, yeah, they, do, like, they have programming all year. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of collaborations with local artists and local activists as well. So. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Silo City, uh, this upcoming weekend and the weekend after, Torn Space Theater, uh, and then go to Duende after. Hell yeah. Um, we went there. That Buy was, me a shot. Yeah. Um, that was the <laughs> first time. I ever went to Duende last year when I went and so, cause I went by myself, you know, I was in, you were the only person I knew in it and I'm just like, I'm just going to go. Which was so rad yeah. of you to just like head first it by yourself. Well, I just, uh, I mean, I'm a guy who goes to shows like, you know, go see a band by myself, yeah. you know? So I was like, to me, it was like, that's the same thing. Oh, I'm going to see my friend perform. So I'm just going to go check this out by totally. myself. And, uh, yeah, it was super rad. And then going to Duende after, which I had never been to Duende is like, feels like a fever dream in itself. It when feels you go like there. a different world. Yeah. yeah. Duende is if anybody who's never been to Duende, it's like this bar near Silo city. It's like, you have to like cross a bridge to get to it. It's like tucked <laughs> back. It's super weird. It seems like it shouldn't be there. Uh, but it's a very, very cool, uh, venue, uh, yeah. really cool bar. Uh, they have like an outdoor area with a stage and stuff. Um, and I loved going there and hanging out. It was super cool. Yeah. Good time. I'm glad you came. Me too. Moving on. Um, I guess we can, Oh no, because something we talked about yesterday that we haven't brought up yet is, uh, synesthesia. Oh Christ. Okay. Because I think this is the one you were the one we first met and you told me about this. This I was the most fascinating thing <laughs> I ever heard about anybody. Cause I had never heard of this. Um, what is this phenomenon? I don't know what to call it. Refer to it as. I, I think it's technically a neurological disorder. Okay. Um, that's how it was phrased to me. So, uh, as like, as a kid, I, the earliest memory I have of it was I was on a playground and I got pushed by another kid and my back got messed up. I got bruising and blood and all this stuff. Um, and I am sent an audio. So I smelled the blood and blood to me smells blue. So I went home screaming, crying, saying that I smelled blue and my parents were like tight. Don't know what the fuck. That <laughs> yeah, means, our, like, our kid's a psycho. Best yeah. of luck. And <clears throat> then I was like taking a shower that night and I took my shirt off and I had blood and like bruising all over my back. So that was kind of the beginning of like, oh, there's something weird here. Um, and synesthesia is essentially a, um, a sensory crossover for... It, I should be able to explain this better, having had it my whole life. But uh, essentially, I smell and hear in color. So certain scents have certain colors, certain sounds have certain colors, and it's just kind of how my sensory neurons work. So if you smell that candle, it's going to go to your brain immediately and say candle. <laughs> if I smell that candle, it's going to go to my sight. And it's going to have some kind of a color or it's going to have some kind of a sound associated with it. And then it's going to go to my brain and say candle. So um, it just means that I kind of experience sensory stuff in a more intense way, right. I guess. Yeah, there's just like it seems like there's just some sensory like wire crossing that's going yeah. on in your brain. Yeah, which I find just like absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um because I think, I mean, for the main part, what like when I first hear about it, it sounds cool. Like, I'm like, that sounds kind of sick. Yeah. But like at the same time, I know there's also like parts of it that are like it ruins certain things for you. We talked about, yeah, yesterday, my like kryptonite is Play-Doh. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I smell Play-Doh, I will not eat for 24 hours. Like, it it will actively disrupt the course of my life. Yeah. Um, and it's something something about the smell of Play-Doh. Just, like, yeah. I can't It's. It. I mean, it's not a pleasant smell already, uh, even uh, for somebody who I get, doesn't have it. I get sweaty, like, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, fuck Play-Doh. Fuck Play-Doh, man. Yeah. Oh, like, all that gooey shit that they give to kids. Yeah. Keep that shit the fuck away from me. Yeah. That's um, so why I can. I will never be a child psychologist, just because the idea of like, because a lot of them use like play therapy. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Oh my god. And there's a there's a woman in my office who has Play-Doh in her office, and every time I walk by it, I like all the hair, hair yeah, on yeah, the back yeah. of my neck stands up. I'm like, yeah, just avoid that lady altogether. Uh, yeah. Um, like it's not you. It's the Play-Doh. It's not you. It's the children's toys. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's um sometimes it's cool, sometimes it's difficult. Um, like seeing concerts with heavy light shows is really difficult for me so if i'm seeing a band play and they've got a lot of bright colored lights if i'm hearing sound and the color in the sound is conflicting heavily with the color in the lights i'll get a migraine or i'll get nauseous or i'll get sick so which is great because i think buffalo has a lot of smaller music scenes that don't use lighting right um but like seeing big bands on tour and stuff, it's something I have a lot of trouble with or I'll just kind of have to stare at my feet. Yeah. Because if there's a huge contrast in color, it can be really like physically sickening. That's crazy. Do you know like the percentage of people that have this? Uh, I think it's somewhat small. There are different There are different types. There are like 10 or 11, I think, different types of it. Some people it's like letters, like different letters or days or calendar dates or numbers have colors. Um, there, there's a word for it. There's like projection synesthesia and something else. But I have the one that's more sensory based and there's another one that's more colors, letters, numbers, shapes, things hmm. like that. Um, and is it genetic? I'm not actually sure. I don't think like, I don't know so. what causes that. I, like, should, how do you... I really should know more about it yeah. considering. That's okay. Yeah. I don't think you have to be necessarily have to be an expert on mm. the things going on in your brain, you know? I mean, you are a therapist, so, like, maybe get on that, but... I will consider it. No judgment here, you know? I mean, you don't even have your master's yet, so... Correct. Yeah. So, so I really can... You I have, can just run You this. have till... I'll get back to you uh, in May when you graduate, and I'm right. like, all right, now you should be able now to Now you should be these. able to explain this. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, synesthesia. Yeah, that is a... I remember when you first told me I, like, didn't believe you. I'm yeah, like, I've never, no, this doesn't even seem real, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But then it's like, all right, that's a pretty intense thing. I get that a lot where I explain it to someone and they're like, that's not real. Right. It's like, okay. Cool. Isn't that crazy how people uh, just do that? <laughs> Tight. Like, yeah. Right. Like people are like, um, that, that doesn't make sense in my brain. So I'm going to say that you're making I'm that just up. I'm going to say it's fake. And I'm yeah. like sick. I still get nauseous when I smell hospital cleaner. So yeah. if you can explain that. To hospital me. cleaner. I, dentist's office and hospitals oh, are oh, bad. Oh. They use a very specific type of cleaner. Sure. Um, and I, I worked in my friend's tattoo shop for a little bit. And she used the same one, and it not quite Play-Doh level, but it fucks with you. It fucks with me. Yeah, yeah real bad. Damn. Damn. Let's uh, get into some questions that people cool. asked. Let's see. Can we still answer the stupid ones? Yes, we'll yes. start with the stupid ones. Uh, and then we'll get into the serious ones. So first stupid one is from my friend Alex, who said, I had a sex dream about Jackie Chan. What does it mean? Uh, dream psychology is not real, but you should probably watch another Jackie Chan movie and see if you can 
like start them you know what i mean like see if you can bring them on for yourself so dream psychology not being real you think like dreams don't mean things or you think they're just random projections of like a lot of dream psychology stuff comes from freud who's uh, a weak bitch yeah we don't like freud i detest sigmund freud yeah um and it comes from this really blown out idea of a subconscious which like we don't really recognize the way that freud recognized it because he was not a real scientist and he didn't frame any of his work as social theory despite the fact that it was um so all that like subconscious stuff comes from like his hysteria research and it's all dog shit okay interesting i think that a lot like i mean i think there are things like i have like anxiety related dreams right yeah. But it's just like, but that is just literally like my brain dealing with things I deal with every day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily like me trying to tell me something. It's more of just like a yeah. reflection of what's already happening. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this, this idea too, Freud was like, he believed in this like historical trauma stuff that like the, the frigidness you feel towards sexuality in adolescence is a reflection of the ice age. Like oh, he had weird. some real out there shit that there are like versions of what he believed that are true and that have been further developed but a lot of the whole like oh a dream is trying to tell you something that's yeah there's no empirical evidence of that so going off of that because you mentioned like historical trauma like this like uh, i hear the term ancestral trauma so different yeah right. so the difference between something like genetic trauma or um ancestral trauma is this idea that we are a product of our ancestors, which is totally valid. And there is empirical evidence of hormone imbalances in the brain and things like that from years of trauma. Okay. um, Specifically in groups that have been historically oppressed. Yeah. However, what Freud was talking about was like, oh, Moses did this thing and now we're all upset about it. Right. He did a lot of swinging for the fences. Sure. which Which would have been fine if he had framed his work as social theory, but he didn't. And he believed and he referred to himself as a scientist. Right. And he did not frame his work in a way that was like, oh, this is a theory. It was like, this is what I have researched and come to terms with. And he lied in his research all the time. Yeah. So it was just like, we have all these kind of half-baked Freudian ideas, like penis envy, which is my favorite of the insane things everyone has said. Great band name. Um, We have all these like half-baked Freudian concepts that we've just kind of admitted into the lexicon of mental health terminology that sure. are dog shit and mean almost nothing good to know that's good i always found the ancestral trauma thing really interesting oh yeah um because it seems legit like it makes sense mm-hmm. you know what i mean that it's like if somebody is dealing with all this trauma and stress while you know and then like birthing another person you know like that's obviously i think going to fuck up the hormonal levels and, oh, and things like yeah. that. yeah there was a study done at uh, emory university in 2013 called the cherry blossom experiment that's very famous that's also a sick band name yeah but um essentially what they did is they took mice or i think it was mice or rats they would emit the scent of cherry blossom and then they would shock the rats and then they had those rats impregnate other rats and then when the rats babies were born like six months later they put the smell of cherry blossom into the room and the baby rats freaked out and it's this idea that you know the way that our parents if our parents experienced high levels of stress and fear that shows up in hormonal changes with children damn crazy shit that is fucking crazy wouldn't it be so sick if we got to a point where like mental health became like such a priority that like we started to heal like a majority of people and then like we started birthing like these really healthy mentally healthy children they would have to let insurance companies like fully pay for therapy to do that and i'm yeah well 
the ruling class. Let's start with Medicare for all and then go from there. <laughs> Let's go there. Next question from my friend Brad. Brad says, does size really matter? Yes. There we go, Brad. Brad's short. That checks out. All right. Now we'll get into the serious ones. <laughs> um, this question says, uh, what, what, oh, Sorry, I was like confused on what they were trying to say. What do they do if they see a client in person? Meaning that if you see one of your clients outside of a session and just outside in the world, um, how do you go about handling that situation? Um, I always tell clients first or second session, if I see you out, I will not speak to you. I'll walk right past you. Um, if you acknowledge me and you speak to me, then I'll talk to you. But I don't feel like it is my, one, because of HIPAA, and two, because I don't feel like it's my right to make you have to explain to someone that you're with who I am. Because I have a lot of clients whose families or partners don't know they're in therapy. So just to respect HIPAA and also just to have like a general boundary. If somebody comes up to me and talks to me, that's completely fine. If they're comfortable, if they're with somebody explaining that, totally cool. But I don't feel like it's my place to put someone in totally. a place to have to explain that. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's literally word for word exactly what my therapist told me on like day one. He was like, listen, if I, I'm seeing the mall, he's yeah. like, I'm, unless you say something to me, I'm going to beeline right past you and act like I don't know you. Yep. And it's not a personal thing. It's just because some people... <clears throat> yeah have weird stipulations about therapy and just yeah. like you know i like that <clears throat> i don't know where my voice is going it's disappearing here it's all right and the coffee's definitely not helping great let me take a sip of water here hydration station. i hope that came through super clear on the audio <laughs> all right <clears throat> next uh, from my friend Greg, uh, what are common misconceptions about mental health? Mm. There's, there's probably a lot. Yeah. Um, that you have to be miserable and or crazy to be in therapy, which I think everybody should be in therapy. Right. I don't know a therapist that doesn't have a therapist either. So it's everyone. Everyone should have the opportunity to be valid and to be heard in a space. Um that therapy is only for like certain types of people or certain relationship styles. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think everything that we've kind of talked about thus far is, um, I think like, uh, I mean, my thing has always been like that mental health is like, uh, like a mental health issue is like rare. You know what I mean? Like, uh, as, I mean, as we've talked about, like, there's been, you know, just as human beings, there have been so many years of trauma. Um, and I think, you know, especially, again, as we've evolved as human beings and be able to be aware of these things, um, it's almost, it almost, like, makes it worse, I think, because it's like we're, we are able to process it um, that, you know, most people have things they have to deal with. So anytime I see, like, I don't know, a celebrity or, or anybody that, like, comes out about their mental health like it's like i don't know i don't want to talk shit like it's like not a brave thing to do but it's also just like i don't know dude like everybody like we need to get a conversation that is, it shouldn't be brave to talk about your mental health you know what i mean because it's like because everybody fucking deals with it mm -hmm. so i think the this misconception that like you're different because you deal with mental health issues is my biggest one because it's like no literally everybody does and just yeah. mo a lot of people just don't want to look that in the mirror you know yeah. what i mean that's a good one also uh oh another good one is that therapy is advice 
Right. People think they're going to come into therapy and be like, what do I do? I don't fucking know. Yeah. That's your life. I'm going to put you in a position where you feel confident and enough in yourself that you can make your own decisions. Right. But the idea that you're going to come into therapy and like get advice, I think is always kind of a shock to people. They think like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. It's not my job. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I feel like therapy like teaches you how to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, kind of teaches you how to unlearn a lot of habits and like form new and healthy ones that will guide you to the right conclusion or, you know, to give yourself where you don't need the advice because you can figure out the answers yourself. Like teaching you how to find the answers in your own way yeah. and empowering you to do that. Good therapy um, is a mirror. Yeah. It's somebody holding a mirror up and saying like, all right, this is the <clears throat> stuff that is working and that's not working. Mm-hmm. Let's let's work on skills to figure out how to. When uh, I first started going to therapy, I was also like recently put on Lexapro at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had always had weird um, so maybe we can talk about misconceptions with medication because mm-hmm. I had always felt weird about medication because I was like, I didn't want to have to be on, you know, yeah. uh, anything like that. Um, is Lexa, this might be a dumb question and I'll cut this out. This is a really stupid question, <laughs> but is, what is the SSRI? Is that the a thing? SSRI. Yeah. What is that? Uh, um, is that related to what we're talking about or is that a completely yes. different thing? It's, okay. it's related. And you're talking about how certain medications can inhibit hormone receptors and kind yeah. of functional yeah yeah so, so like lexapro has really high rates of things that i think bring people to therapy lexapro is something that um things like impotence which is a word that i hate and is yeah. really stupid and means almost nothing in the context of modern life sure um but Lex- lexapro is funny lexapro is something i feel like people will take and come into therapy and be like i feel terrible it's yeah like, so it, it definitely i definitely needed to be on it um and it helped me a lot uh and then i got to a point where i didn't feel it was really helping me like i got at first it was like amazing you know what i mean yeah. i was like oh this is great i remember specifically one specific memory where i was like oh i know this is working is mm-hmm. i was like driving to work and i was listening to a comedy podcast and something like not even that funny got said and i like burst out laughing like super hard and i was like whoa Mm. Like I was like, I have not laughed like that at something that like small in so long. You know what I mean? And this was yeah. like, you know, a couple of days of being on it was like when I first noticed. Um, and I loved it at first. It really did like chill out my anxiety, helped my depression a lot. It was great. And then after like, I don't know, maybe a year or so, I just got to a point where I was like, well, I don't really feel super low, but like, I don't really feel super great either. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like chilling. And uh, during the pandemic, I had, you know, my brother was living here and his girlfriend at the time was a therapist uh and it was just like super cool to have her around um and you know she had told me she's like yeah so lexapro kind of like if you have an entire spectrum of emotion where you have like really high highs or really low lows lexapro kind of just narrows that spectrum so you won't feel those super low lows but you also won't feel those super high highs you know and that's kind of a point where i got to where i just was like kind of just like coasting and i didn't like that so i i weeded myself out, out of it and just like through therapy and honestly um i know might be a controversial topic, but through like psychedelics, um, microdosing mushrooms a lot, mm-hmm. uh, not a lot, but like every once in a while is like, yeah. s- has been so beneficial to me. Um, and I definitely do not think psychedelics are for everybody. Um, but for me specifically, um, they helped quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my point being that I got on Lexapro and then started going to therapy and I, you know, told my therapist about it and like how I kind of had these, just these like weird, um, you know, concerns about, about, uh, medication and things and he phrased it in a way that I really loved where she was like medication 
helps clear the cobwebs that is the attic of your mind. Yep. And now that the cobwebs are cleared, we can start sifting through the boxes to figure out, like, you know, where this chemical imbalance is coming from. Yeah. And try to, you know, just, like, clean it out, you know? Yeah, um, totally. Which is amazing. And that's, you know, pretty much exactly what we did for, like, the next year, so. <laughs> I use the attic metaphor a lot, too, because the cobwebs totally, like, yeah. sometimes medication, you need it for a period of time to clear the cobwebs. Yeah. Um, sometimes people need medication to put the stuff in boxes. Right. So you're moving, your attic's a mess, something that is going to help you kind of organize stuff and put it away, and then you can do that extra work. Hell yeah. Yeah. But I think that a common misconception, too, with med- medication is people think, like, oh, I'm going to be on this the rest of my life. Yeah. And if you have a good therapist and a good psychopharmacologist and a good psychiatrist, like, it, it's supposed to ebb and flow. It's normal that your brain chemistry is going to change. It's normal that your body is going to change. It's normal that your outlook is going to change. So medication is something that can go in and out for people. And right. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to... That's a good point, too, about, like, you're always changing and evolving. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, that's something that I struggle with is, like, this idea that, like, oh, this is who I am, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, like, just getting, like, this solidified idea of, like you know being who i am and then like but like when things change and evolve i'm like oh something's breaking again or something's wrong because like now i'm realizing these changes are happening and i don't like it and Mm -hmm. my therapist is like no you're just growing as a human being like you are going to change you are going to change your entire life sometimes you're not going to like things anymore sometimes the things that used to excite you don't excite you anymore like that kind of shit so um i think that's an important one to think about as well for sure um, Greg sent in another question. He okay. said, "What's bad advice you hear people give each other that we should avoid? Should avoid?" Ooh, I don't. I don't really feel like it's my place to ever say that advice is bad because right. circumstances are circumstances. But um, sure. Uh, I I should have had more time to think about this, didn't I? It's okay. I uh, would say. Go ahead. Mm, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, I think yesterday when we got to that one, um, you had mentioned the idea of just like, it gets better. as just oh, like a blanket statement. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, and we talked about this a little bit too in the beginning today with kind of how family cycles affect the way that we perceive relationships. Um, but it, it's advice that I, honestly, it's advice that I see given more to um, like femme presenting people or people on the gender non-binary spectrum with abusive partners. Um, people that exist kind of in that sphere. I hear a lot of, oh, I'm in a really unpleasant relationship. Things are really bad, but you know, my parents told me to stick with it. Um, and there's this idea that people come into therapy thinking that they have to fight for things. Right. Or like, I am here to build a tolerance for something that I'm acknowledging is traumatic or stressful in my life. Um, and obviously, as a therapist, I'm never going to say, like, you should you should dump them. Yeah. But um, there, there are a lot of cases, I think, where people are given the advice that they should go to therapy to build their tolerance for something that is right. destructive. Whereas I don't think that people should be... I don't think that that's good advice. Like, oh, you should go to therapy to learn to tolerate something that you've right. already or identified Or learn to work through something that's not worth working through. You know what I mean? Where it's like, sometimes you should just walk away from something and this idea, that's not good for you instead yeah. of trying to like force yourself to adapt to yeah. it. Yeah. This idea that therapy is something that's going to help you stomach something that's not right or unacceptable is, yeah. I think is really bad advice. Another thing we talked a lot about yesterday was TikTok. 
and uh, the double-edged sword of TikTok because Mm -hmm. TikTok is great. You know, when I first got on it, mine immediately, you know, started catering to, um, you know, the algorithm started showing me all like mental health stuff. And there are a lot of like great, like actual licensed therapists on TikTok that, and I think that's, it's, it's awesome that um, it's such a popular side of TikTok um, Mm -hmm. for people to kind of, you know, who might not be in therapy to maybe realize, oh, maybe I should be, um, or just like recognize, or even just like see things of like, you know, things that may maybe they're dealing with and like this is another person who dealt with this and what they did you know Mm -hmm. but the double-edged sword of that is that you know there are people who might be giving really bad advice on there so my favorite person on tiktok do you know who dr ina is i don't know oh my god so she's a um she's a psychology researcher and she's a professor and she grew up in the soviet union and she's brilliant and fascinating and really cool and her main thing on tiktok is like going through creators that just like you know looked up the dsm diagnosis and were like you have borderline personality yeah and she basically goes through and explains the research that people are looking at and why it's being interpreted incorrectly um and i'm a i'm a slut for research and like that's kind of my long-term goals is more in the research field yeah and she she makes uh, evaluating research as an academic really accessible to people that don't have the opportunity to study it. And that's what's awesome about it. And yeah. it's so cool because she she's not condescending and she's not shitty and she's not like, I am a doctor and you're not. Right. She's very like, hey, this is the research they're talking about. This is why this is not true and this is why this can be harmful. Yeah. Um, and I think that she's a really great example of that, of creators that really have it together and know kind of the dangers of presenting watered down or false mental health information right totally yeah yeah um i see a lot of that stuff on there and it's awesome um but there definitely is a lot that's just like you know (laughs) the main one that's now become a bit of a meme now is the uh that like everything is a trauma response (laughs) yeah um so those are the bad ones definitely to avoid yeah uh for sure all right let's move on to the next one um this one is asking for Tips for battling executive dysfunction. Ooh. Uh, would be lit. Your boy is going through it. All right. Yeah. Hello, boy going through it. Um, so I am somebody who, especially for executive dysfunction or any kind of like. So I don't even know what executive dysfunction is. I got that one. I couldn't tell because yeah. of the way he ended it. I was like, I don't even know if this mm-hmm. guy's joking or so not. So it's you know? a, it's kind of a facet. People compare it to ADHD in some ways, but it's kind of this idea of the inability to get through tasks that don't feel massive, um, procrastination, kind of indifference to completing tasks and getting through things. Um, we talk about astrology a little bit. I don't fully believe in it, but right. I will play the Virgo card when I need to. As a hardline Virgo, um, I love a list. I love a checklist. Um, and something that I always recommend to clients who are struggling with executive dysfunction or cite something within the vein of it is getting a planner um, and getting markers. So sometimes like different colored markers. Yeah. So that sounds fun. something that can kind of be cool and almost like a facet of art therapy is to sit down with yourself and quite literally draw out what you need to get done. Write down checklists. Um, if you're artistic or you're inclined to that kind of stuff, you can really decorate it and put a lot of time into it. Um, but keeping lists and schedules is a really great way to deal with that. Um, post-it notes are also really useful if you want to keep, if you have a memory component to it as well and you want to kind of remember stuff or 
figure stuff out. It's cool to just keep like a pack of post-it notes with you. I find that that can be really great. Um, and if, if there's an anxiety component too, if it's an overwhelm thing where you try to start a task and it feels really difficult, my favorite thing to give people with panic or anxiety disorders is bubbles. Um, because if you, so for example, if you're going to do a meditation, if you're like me, you can't, you can't sit there and like, someone's like, imagine grass and breathe. And you're like, <laughs> right. eat a dick. This sucks. I talked about this with my friends recently. <laughs> I had a few of my buddies were having a conversation about how like some people just don't have the ability to like actually form and like an actual visual mm-hmm. picture in their head, which I didn't know about, which is crazy. And then yeah. like my cousin was chilling with us and like, you know, my buddy was like, you know, if I tell you to picture like a blue house with red shutters and like whatever, and he was like, and then my cousin was like, wait a minute. He was like, I can't. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know what you're saying. He's yeah. like, but I don't have an actual like visual in my brain to make that. And that kind of sitting down <clears> and <throat> try, forcing to relax doesn't really work for a lot of people's nervous systems. Sure. So the cool thing about bubbles is if you've ever blown a bubble, you know that if you blow too hard, it doesn't work. If you yeah. blow too soft, it doesn't work. So bubbles are a really great way to kind of force regulate your breathing in your like nervous that. system yeah. without necessarily feeling like you're doing it. Yeah. So if there's kind of an anxiety component to the executive dysfunction as well, or you feel overwhelmed easily, bubbles are a great thing to just like keep on hand. Noted. I do find, I mean, I do meditate, um, but it's definitely something I struggled with. I mean, I have ADHD, so like it's yeah. meditation is something, but that's what I liked about meditation was almost the challenge of yeah. it, you know, and that's the kind of person I am. I'm like, oh, you're going to tell mm-hmm. me I can't fucking sit, just sit here and relax. I'll fucking show you. I'm going to do this. Give bubbles a um, shot. They might work for you. Well, the thing is with meditating, I did get to a point because it's, it's a practice. It's a skill. You know yeah. what I mean? You have to practice. You can't. I tell everybody who's like asked me about meditating that like is just starting it. I'm like your first couple days of trying it are going to be weird and it's going to suck because you're not going to be like, you're not going to get anything out of it, but you have to get through that mm-hmm. too. It's, I mean, it's almost like the same thing you're doing stand up. It's like, nobody's going to go up their first time ever doing stand up and murder. Like yeah. you are going to bomb and yeah. you have to bomb to get better. That's like, you have to go up there and you have to try and it's going to suck and then you're going to feel terrible about yourself, but that's the only way you're going to get better. And then you same learn thing. From, right. Yeah. It's the same thing with meditating where it's like, first times first few times going trying to do it it's just like it doesn't seem like it's going to work because i got to do anything but if you continue to do it i mean at least for me maybe not for, for everybody um but like as i just continue to do it you get a little bit better at it and then you get to a point where you're like you know you just kind of evolve at your developing your skill um of meditating to where it gets to a point where you know then you can actually control your focus and for someone like me who has adhd it's just like extremely beneficial because then it, you know yeah. it uh kind of snowballs into every other part of my life it's training a muscle yeah for sure yeah uh, executive dysfunction that's an interesting one <clears throat> uh differences in therapy methods also how does something make it in the dsm oh wow um different there are a lot of different therapy methods sure um which i didn't know i thought therapy was just therapy and like i don't even know what type of therapy i do i just talk to this man you know uh Uh and so that's pretty much it but um yeah like i mean you were mentioning the one earlier um was it edr or something emdr emdr Yeah. yeah 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 um so every every therapist is a little different everyone has kind of ideologies that they subscribe to um from what from what you've described to me it seems like you do an element of cbt which is cognitive behavioral okay um which is really common and has great results with adhd yeah um i personally don't practice a lot of cbt just because it's not really like the client populations that i work with sure um i identify as a feminist adlerian multicultural 
So my Fire. my primary interests are in family structure, in social structure, and are in sociocultural and economic structure. Um, I also ride the line of existential a little bit with some of my work. Um, but I believe that intersectionality and identity is kind of the core of what makes us who we are and that it's important to honor and validate and kind of sift through how elements of our identities interact with ourselves and the world around us. Um, I use a lot of IFS, which is internal family systems and EMDR for trauma reprocessing stuff. I wish I could say that it was hard to make it into the DSM, but the DSM is kind of a flaming pile of dog shit in okay. a lot of ways. So can you explain the DSM a little yes. bit more? Because I like up until our conversation yesterday, like I didn't even know what it was. So. Yeah. So the DSM is this giant book. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And they put out a new issue every 15, 20 years. And it seems like not enough. Oh, no, it's not. It really yeah. isn't. Um, <laughs> ooh, it's bad. It's really bad. And, um, it kind of gives the outline of diagnosing a lot of mental health disorders. Sure. Um, and it's where our coding system comes from. So when we diagnose people in like therapy notes or simple practice, the coding system comes from the DSM. The problem with the DSM is it's based on research that essentially puts everything against the mental health standard of like a middle class white man heterosexual cisgendered right monogamous judeo-christian isn't this crazy how this is all full 360 to our entire conversation dude homosexuality was in the dsm until 1974 and it wasn't fully removed from the dsm it, it was put in other words and other phrases until 2013 so like we got to keep in mind that the dsm is not right is not the rule and is not the standard and i find that people will either buy the dsm or look at the dsm it's it's a lot like WebMD where you can <laughs> like you can look at it and be like, oh my god, I have everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it doesn't really give you any of the nuance or the diagnostic training that somebody who is using it in a professional setting has. So I find that it can psych people out really hard. Um, and yeah, I I think I I struggle with the DSM a lot just because I don't think that it's built with the best interests of clients in mind. I think it's built to identify and kind of categorize things as quickly as possible, which is not a productive therapeutic relationship right, at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, another thing I know about, I mean, speaking of the homosexuality thing, homosexuality was not part of the Bible. Um, until like the 1940s, I believe. Translations are a hell of a thing. Yeah. Huh? I, I, that's another rabbit hole I went under the pandemic is biblical theology. Okay. I'm cool. so fascinated by the Bible just because of the, um, the amount of power it has. Yeah. Um, so I like got really into just like understanding the Bible. Um, not in like a religious way, just like, you know, from a theological standpoint. Tight. Um, and I found it super fascinating. But yeah, the whole idea of like homosexuality was never even mentioned in the Bible. I actually have a stand up bit that I've been working on about the Roe versus Wade thing and how we need to like remarket abortion um, to make it on the side of religious people uh, and say that instead of get like. Uh, you know, terminating your pregnancy, you're sacrificing your child for God. Oh, yeah. Because there's nothing about abortion in the Bible, but there's 32 verses about sacrificing your child for for God. Yeah, so. and God got to kill his only son. That's Why what can't I'm saying. I? Exactly. Who's going to physically stop me? Right. Anyway, sorry to uh, <laughs> derail a little bit there. I just think that yeah, is, no, it's is interesting point. that, you know, the homosexuality thing uh, being re removed from the DSM, you said, right? 
it, it's yeah it's only just barely and still now like a lot of the times kids that are trying to transition or get hormone therapy have to get a letter right. from a mental health professional which to me is insane yeah so yeah it's stupid we live in a health health place <laughs> correct we live in the bad place um all right this one says ooh, uh how to i think they were just excited that ooh. you were coming on uh how to approach setting boundaries with difficult and then in parentheses they put dysfunctional question mark family Oh, I see. I love boundaries and I love boundary work. Yeah, I'm, it's huge. Super I'm mean, important. like as yeah. a person in real life. <laughs> um, and I think that especially as femme presenting people, we are socialized to be as agreeable as possible, um, both to be deemed attractive or viable in social situations and also to avoid being murdered. Um, so I find that boundaries are something that can kind of play into some of those socialization components of like, in asserting a boundary, am I creating an issue for myself or am I making myself hostile or unlikable? Right. Um, and I would say kind of my big my big thing for boundaries is to to approach them being clear that the boundary is to benefit both parties. So if you're kind of dealing with family members or people that are unwelcoming to boundaries or not comfortable with it a good way to kind of breach that is to say like you know this is this is the boundary i'm setting this is what you've done that's made me uncomfortable this is how i feel and this is why it's beneficial to our relationship so to address it as something that's going to help the relationship as opposed to just you putting up a wall can make it a little bit easier for some people yeah. to stomach yeah i like that i mean putting it's almost like a an empathetic way of going about it of yeah. like even the person who you know if you have this difficult dysfunctional family mm -hmm. like being empathetic to them that they n might not understand boundaries yeah. and so you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes which is mm -hmm. very difficult when it's like you know the receiving end of things um but to be like yeah it's like hey like I don't like when you do this and you don't like when I react to this like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, every time you do a behavior and you see B reaction, you hate B reaction. Well, I also hate doing right. B reaction. I don't like so, feeling this way. Right. So let's set a boundary for the A behavior so that yeah. we can avoid that altogether. Yeah. And because, you know, you have you have every right in every situation to say, hey, what you're doing is unacceptable and it makes me uncomfortable. Totally. Period. And yeah. there's no there's no need to downplay that. Um, but if you're finding that somebody is not responding to a boundary well, framing it as a discourse and kind of giving somebody the opportunity to see how that benefit that boundary could also benefit them can be really useful in those situations. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I mean, I'm a very spiritual person and I do like love astrology and shit like that. So I always look at it as just like protecting your energy. You know sure. I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think what therapy does really well is kind of get you to a point of feeling very confident and comfortable in what your energy is mm -hmm. um and like you know just like who you are and like oh yeah these are things that bother me and there's nothing wrong with that you know that's just how my energy works my energy reacts to things differently yeah. um and the importance of setting boundaries is to protect that energy but it's it's tough to, to set boundaries i find um if you don't really know like like if you don't have that result of that therapy brings of like understanding exactly what your needs are yeah you know what i mean so or understanding what your triggers are or things mm -hmm. like that so like once you can confidently understand those it makes it so much easier to set boundaries because like setting boundaries with somebody you know a lot of times especially and and this per, the person who sent that in i'm related to so like i know that uh 
um, it can be difficult in our like giant Irish uh, <laughs> aggressive family that yeah. like represses everything. Um, you know, people will take things personally mm-hmm. where you try to set a boundary with somebody and then they're like, oh, I'm the fucking problem here. And it's right. like, no, 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 no. It's like, yeah. So um, when you can confidently understand like your actual need, mm-hmm. um, I think it makes it way easier to set that boundary to know that, oh, no, they're not going to be able to flip this on me and say that like I'm the problem yeah. here when I fully know like what I'm protecting. And it's also important to notice that boundaries change. Totally. And experiences change and limitations and needs change. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, a boundary can be an ever evolving thing that deserves check ins and discourse and all that stuff. And to know that when you set boundaries, what you're doing is you're opening up an opportunity to kind of explore a relationship and its needs and its wants and its boundaries and its ability to shift back and forth. So it's setting a boundary in a lot of ways is kind of a, a new start. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right, and then these ones came in anonymously through the message, uh, which you can always send in messages anonymously through the link tree link in all of my social media bios. This one's another joke one. Cool. So shifting gears here, this says, and I'm not really understanding it, but it says, as a therapist, how often do you find it that the larger, more moist scrotum men mm. find more stability than a smaller, drier scrotum? Are you talking about physical stability? That's what it's. You, I'm thinking of it like a like a center of gravity. Right. That's what. That's yeah. how I'm reading it as yeah. well. Yeah. I don't know why a therapist would know. I'm that. not a physical. Therapist, I like the way that I, they they worded it. Yeah. It was very um, visceral and very descriptive, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. The moist scrotum. That seems like yeah. you should get that checked out. I would. I would see I'm a, not a doctor, or physician. Nothing, but yeah. Um, all right, and then moving on. This one was very. Um, heartfelt and legit and i really they also like did it like you could you have the option to put a name in and they just put a friend which oh. i love that because it reminds me of like an advice column yeah you know? that's nice um so it says in the past i've had very surface level conversations with therapists mm. however in recent years i've identified past traumas i'm working through on my own i have to get a new therapist now is it weird if i unload all the heavy stuff from my childhood immediately feels like going to a doctor with a webmd diagnosis you cannot trauma dump on a therapist yeah and this is something that i see a lot of where people say like oh going into my first therapy session and trauma dumping that's literally our job that's what we're there for right uh you're not going to scare someone away and also there's something really fucking cool frankly about when a new client comes in and they're like hey this is the work that i've done on my own here is everything. This is what I want to work on. Yeah. Because for a lot of therapists, that first session is goal setting, is saying like, okay, this is what we want to work on. One, that fucking rules that you were able to put yourself through that. You were able to acknowledge that your previous therapy experiences were not doing what you needed them to do. Yeah. Hell yeah. Go in, lay it out. That rules. I mean, that's something that therapy has definitely helped me with. Um, There's a lot of times where I like, I mean, I've been going to the same guy for a while where Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like we're having the same conversations, but then I do realize like, oh, I'm able to recognize things easier it's so weird how it's like um you know it's almost like magic is happening you know what i mean where it's like i don't realize something's happening but then all of a sudden like a couple weeks after a session you know i like recognize something i'm like oh that was a really traumatic event that i went through like uh, unlocking a memory in my head or whatever and like you know also i think it's important to understand that trauma has like different levels to it like just like it doesn't have to be like this horribly fucked up thing for it to be considered trauma. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like it could have made you just like, it could have just had some shock value to you, to it that just like, you know, altered the way you thought about anything. Like even if it was a little thing, it still can be traumatic. So totally. Um, 
And as far as this thing like feels like going to a doctor with a WebMD diagnosis because you've like learned your own trauma. I mean, I do that. I am a person who does that all the time where I'm like, I read about something and I'm like, oh, and I was like, maybe that's my problem. You know, maybe that's a problem that I have. And I go to my therapist all the time and he's like, what he does really well. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, like the idea of like a diagnosis, like Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily super important. You know what I mean? Like it, it can be validating for sure. But if like more focus on like the behavior, like, you know, for me, like, uh, an ADHD diagnosis really uh, yes it was extremely validating and everything but it's just that the behaviors of it it's like oh yeah I do do these things I do all of these things and uh, there is a solution to that and you can work on these things and so yeah. like more focus on just like the symptoms that you're experiencing and how to get through that rather than just being like oh I have this mm-hmm. you know and kind of just get lost in that and feel like you need to um, I don't know use it as a scapegoat almost because that's, that's I think a problem for me is like getting diagnosed with ADHD, it's easy for me to be like, oh yeah, no, that's that bad habit that I have is just because I have ADHD and just mm-hmm. like, you know, chalk it up as something is just like, oh yeah, I guess that's just how I am. You know, it's like, no, yeah. like always just recognize the symptoms, the behaviors and like do what you can to try to work on those no matter what the diagnosis is, right? Yeah, a diagnosis is great when hearing it is part of the plan to resolve the symptom. Yeah. So if hearing that you have an ADHD diagnosis is validating and it's like, okay, I'm not alone. Like it's a form of norming and normalizing something. Um, But most of the time I don't tell clients their diagnoses unless they ask for them. Right. Because in a lot of cases it's not useful. Yeah. And also we live in the age of the internet where you can Google something and see the worst possible turnout. Right. Um, So I find that in a lot of cases it can be kind of a, a catalyst for spiral cyclical anxiety or difficult kind of experiences so it depends but you know to some people that diagnosis is validating because it's like holy shit like this is this is somebody putting words and a system to something that i've experienced my whole life right yeah fascinating um that was really fun thanks for everybody who sent the questions in yeah um i hope we continue doing that uh so as i have more guests on we will um keep doing that yeah thanks you thank you for everybody too who wrote in and asked christine these questions christine thank you so much for coming on yeah, uh man. check out the torrent space theater performance coming out this upcoming weekend and next weekend uh at silo city uh look up torrent space theater buffalo probably and you can oh, yeah. find out where to get tickets and everything like that um you have is there anything else that you wanted to promote or anything any other shows or anything that mm. no no chilling can't really plug my psychology today so yeah that's fair um <laughs> torn space is tight come to yeah, torn space it's torn space uh, yeah cool all right thanks for coming on thanks for coming on uh, for a second day too after yeah. yesterday we lost Hell power yeah. because the west seneca power grid fucking rules so all right i'll talk to you cool. later dog later